Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So, Jeff, how was your week this, this week? Uh, week was mostly good, to be honest with you, until I went to Lidl today, right? And do you know when you're taking the bags out of the car and you lose a plastic bag and it's windy? Nothing brings you down to earth more than chasing a plastic bag in the wind. And if it wasn't for the fact I've been thinking about that for the last maybe four hours, I had a pretty good week. I won't lie to you, but there you go. Nothing makes you look less human than chasing I felt like a moron. And you know, every time I got close to it, it was like God just kind of just puffed his cheeks and just blew it that bit away from me again. I'd say no one was even watching me. Do you know that kind of way? But you, but like you, you couldn't just stop and just go. I'm just going to walk back to the car, but then because then the, the bag would have the bag you. wins. The bag wins. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kept chasing it around a car park like a, an idiot for what felt like an eternity, but was probably about 14 seconds to be honest with you. But I've been replaying it in my mind all day. And Patreon subscribers can watch that video later on. <laughs> yeah, I did a little. I said, mute that camera there. Stick that up. And Tom, what about yourself? Any uh, any excitement this week? Similarly enough, actually, um, in Lidl, and well, everybody knows in Lidl, they've got a really good bakery section. You've got oh, those class. toffee yum-yums and stuff, which are great or fabulous, right? Now, I've been trying to like what I feel I've been trying to like to lose some weight. I figured I'm going to try and lose a bit of weight now because I put on a bit of weight recently. So I'm just like, I want to get that back off. I'm up at around 105 kg and I want to be down around 90. So there's a lot of kg to lose. Anyway, I was thinking at the bakery that what I would do is I'm going to get myself some of those little pretzels, right? Because I figured that's a relatively low calorie thing that you can eat because it's salt on it. There's no mad stuff, chocolate or anything else than that. So I'm going to get some of those little pretzels and, and I like those. So every time I'm past there, I would pick up four, six of them because they come in bags of two. So they're relatively cheap as well. So I'm thinking, okay, grand stuff. This is a good low calorie way for me to get a nice snack during the day. And it's grand. So anyway, I'm looking at my, uh, I get my fitness pal. I'm after getting this and I'm looking at, to try and track my calories. So I'm thinking, well, do you know what now? Today I'm going to go and I'm going to enter in my uh my little pretzels and just bask in the glory of of just how low calorie these are <laughs> each one of these fuckers is like nearly 280 calories each <laughs> and i'm eating four of these in a day that's nearly a thousand calories just on pretzels remember in the simpsons when homer went on a diet and she was like marriage is like you're allowed to eat a, a rice cake they're only like four calories and then he eats it and he's like these are so bland and she's like puts something on it so he puts on like a whole dinner on it and he takes it out he's like mm, only four calories this is pretty much it and i'm just like why and i'm just like well no you know why you're not losing any weight eat nearly a thousand fucking calories extra like like, and this is every couple of days. Like, shit. Oh, and I'd say you're only chuffed, you ass, are you? I am. This is really... I, I had no idea we would go to dive deep into the sort of the depths of little shopping now when I asked. Little's them. getting... Ooh, like, that they would be near, nearly 300 calories. Like, little, <laughs> little's, get, little's getting a serious plug at the start of this as well. Yeah. Well, well we can all say sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the, do you know the well, bread? Do you know the bread and... This last thing I'll say, the bread and little, It's I think it's called the low GI bread. I have no idea what low GI means. I just know that the bread itself, unbelievable. Easily the best bread in there. 
I'm I'm a big fan of the actual uh, what you call it the um, baguettes and chopping them up and getting the uh, little or aldi uh, garlic butter. Oh so yeah, just yeah, slicing yeah. them up and then putting it putting it onto the hot stone on the barbecue for a couple of minutes and it just makes the best garlic pizza bread. I remember one time actually when I was working on a site, a construction site when I was younger, um, I was kind of I was a bit fucked for money because uh, I was waiting to get paid. So I went up in my car to the shop to get something. And I was just like, I'm just going to get a baguette. Right? So I'm going to get the baguette. I'm thinking I'm just going to sit in my car and eat it. So I was kind of eating the baguette, like, edge first, right? So I was just there, like, with this entire baguette, just kind of slowly shoving it into my mouth and realized that there was people just looking at me eating my baguette. No butter on it, not sliced in half in the car next door. <laughs> I got to get out of here. And just drove off with the baguette in my mouth. I, and I, I think we, we, we'll move on from the from the little stories now at this point. But if any listeners do have their embarrassing little stories, if you want to email those in, it's provincialstateofmind at gmail.com. So uh, thanks to everyone who entered last week's competition, as there was a huge response. And congratulations to John Blackwell, who is the winner of a signed Munster jersey, courtesy of the fantastic people at United Rugby. Hashtag URC is the best league. John will be in touch with you via email to sort out the details. This week's competition prize is a signed Ulster shirt, again, courtesy of the fantastic people at United Rugby. Um, Listen out during the podcast for a famous guest popping into Jeff's house to say hello and remind us that the URC is the best league. Note the time and send in your answer via email to provincialstateofmind at gmail.com. So first up this week, we're going to discuss Connacht. Uh, Connacht had a 19-17 win against the Stormers in the showgrounds on Saturday, thanks to tries from Paul Boyle, Peter Sullivan and Tom Daly. Um, have to give some kudos to Jeff for being the only one of the three of us to actually stick with Connacht in the Get predictions. Him. Yes. I thought, I, and I, like I, halfway through the game, I was just like, "Yes, <laughs> you see, fellas, yes. I have this, I have this kind of, uh, I have this kind of sight. You know, I can, I just know when things are going to come right. And I knew Connor yeah. were going to win. I knew it. I knew it. Never doubted it. Even when there it's were ten like, points down, nah, no problem. Never doubt. It's a bit like betting black every time on the roulette wheel. <laughs> it's bound to come up once yeah, in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. I suppose in, in terms of the match itself, um, Connacht booked their trend of losing the last quarter to eke out the win and most importantly backed up last week's win away to the Scarlets to climb up to sixth in the URC uh, table. Jeff, what did you make of the game? I thoroughly enjoyed it, to be honest with you. And um, what struck me probably most was Connacht's game management through not only what happened on the pitch, but their squad selection and the timings they brought players on. Um, I felt first off picking a 6-2 bench was brilliant. Just It was one of those occasions where you're like, you know what, you're going to need a 6-2 bench. And funnily enough, the only other time that Connacht used a 6-2 bench was against the Bulls earlier in the season in a game they also won. So obviously with a 6-2 bench, you're looking for that impact off the bench. And that's exactly what they got. All six coming from the bench were excellent. Now, we kind of spoke before about, you know, Connacht, trying to fight the power game I suppose I felt the pack in the first 50 minutes managed the game really really well and people might kind of listen to this now and say like well they went 10 points down like you know how, how could they manage the game like 10 points after 50 minutes it's not an awful lot and especially I suppose when you can feel that you're getting a handle on the game 
you kind of know that something's going to come. You know you're getting the upper hand bit by bit. 10 points at 50 minutes, not an awful lot. Um, so I felt that the pack who started off, you know, you're just looking to fight fire with fire really at the start. And um, that's exactly what they did. Releasing the forwards off the bench then, the timing I felt was brilliant. And I think for me, it showed up the most uh, for Daly's try. So if if people go back and watch that try again, right, just keep an eye on the Stormers. So it's actually their mall and they box kick to, to Connacht and they, you know, they, they look to run it. It's a, it's a, it's a quick enough tackles made. But if you look at the, if you look at the Stormers defense coming up, I think it's three tight five players go open and a tight five player. I think it's a second row goes blind and he goes at pillar and he's outside then with winger. And off that following rook, that tight five, that second row who's at pillar on the blind side is looking out at touchline attackers. He's not looking at what's in front of him or anything at all. And his winger, so his outside defender is actually looking in to see what nine does. And Blade, in fairness to him, sees that nobody's really paying attention to him, takes that dart, and off he goes. And he actually runs past um, Stephen Kitchoff as well, who's running to catch up with that defensive line. Now, the best thing about this is, is that when Blade makes that unbelievable break, Wooten gets in, he gets a nice click, quick rook ball. It's Jordan Duggan, a front rower, who is actually at nine then off that following rook. And he pops to Connor Oliver. And not only is that pop brilliant, not only is that, I suppose, line from Oliver brilliant, but if you watch the Stormers defensive line, it's tracking back and it's the hooker who's struggling to get back, which means that when he's making that tackle on Oliver, like he's fucked, he's literally just going backwards. It's a soft tackle, which allows um, Oliver to get that offload into Fitzgerald coming through. So, I mean, if we're looking at how Connacht managed the game, they kicked long again, which we talked about last week. You know, they went back to kicking long and kind of trying to move that Stormers pack around. But it's the 6-2 split they had off the bench and the timing they released and, and the impact that that six-man, I suppose, bench or the six forwards had off the, uh, had off the bench. Absolutely fantastic. They um, they came off the bench. They, they, impact, they, they came straight into the game. Like Connor Oliver is so, so good. Um, and he, he's probably been rightly lauded for the impact he had off the bench too. Duggan was phenomenal and he's just getting better as the season goes on. His role for this game, come off the bench after whatever it was, 50 odd minutes or whatever it was, and just empty yourself for 30 minutes or whatever it was. Absolutely phenomenal. So in terms of Connacht, I know they went 10 points behind, but like I said, 10 points, not the end of the world when there's half an hour left or so. Felt they managed the game very, very well. Yeah, I, I thought there was some some brilliant performances in the, the pack, I thought. Um, uh, Leva Fafita, Played really well. I thought, um, again, uh, Keen Prendergast was just outstanding. And as you said, the, the impact of the likes of Duggan, who just gets better and better, his the physicality that he brings. It's if he fierce. Can, yeah. yeah, it's fierce. If he can shore up his scrum, he'll turn into an absolute fantastic player. Yeah, and I think um, Fafida, I think, got player of the game in that match. But like, he had, I think, a charge down within a minute. And yeah, you can say like, you know, like I said, you can say, yeah, Connacht went 10 points behind eventually, but like this, they knew that the Stormers were going to bring a power pack. Like, you know, there, there's no kind of getting around that fact, but they dealt, I felt they dealt with it brilliantly well. Yeah, I think like the, the Stormers came and tried to slow down the game as much as possible until the very end when, when they got caught. But I, I mean, Tom, I think one of the, the big sort of factors in it was the two yellow cards conceded by the Stormers in the last sort of quarter that really allowed Connacht the, the time and space to, to come back into it. Yeah, I mean, 
there's no kind of escaping from that, that that kind of did help Connacht. Uh, I'd say both were kind of fair enough. I know some of the South Africans were, were, were complaining about it, which is a bit unusual for South Africans to be complaining about a referee. But like you look at the, the way that Stormers played, I think actually if you look at Connacht as well, like that kind of showed both sides of Connacht where initially that Stormers mall was a huge problem for Connacht. Um, and like, I, I think that big physical exertion from the Stormers, like I remember watching the Stormers in Toma Park there or like last year now, but this season, and uh, they, were, they were very impressive, very big, very powerful. And uh, I thought Connacht did well just to even keep in touch during that kind of, you know, first 50, 60 minutes. Cause like the Stormers were very, very strong. And some of the collisions out there were brutal. Like, Is that bad? Patience. I keep saying collisions. I keep I keep saying it in my sleep. But like you look at the the way the way the Connacht, I, I suppose, kind of rolled it out. Um with the and, and yeah, look, the two yellow cards did help. But I think the Connacht at that point had paced themselves really well. Six two split worked for them here. And I think the Stormers, I think a lack of a quality 10 kind of really hurt the Stormers across this game. I thought that their management of the game of getting into positions where they were strong. I think that they suffered uh, quite a bit. Um, again, like they box kick and I think box kick, box, box kicked fairly well. But uh, I, I think Connacht, they'll play off that kind of transition game and they really kind of grew into it as the, like they finished very strongly. I think Jeff had said before like that they had a habit of not finishing strongly, but they paced themselves really, really well here. And um, again, I think the Stormers, Will be disappointed with how did this how they saw saw out the game. Discipline was a problem. I think once they got over the old bullshitting about the referee, I think they look at their own like they they look at themselves there and look at well how they let that game out of uh, out of their hands. But I think Connacht can be very very happy with how they finished out that game because that was a very very important game for them. It's funny you mentioned that Connacht paced themselves really well, Tom, because Owen said it there a minute ago. Stormer slowed the game right down, like it was like it was infuriating at times how slow the game was. But I think the fact that Stormer slowed it down so much allowed Connacht just to keep their energy levels and recovery. Because like you, you had fellas going down literally the whole time. You rucks taking nearly 18 seconds, 18 seconds odd. Like that just allows Connacht to get a breath and go, right, let's go again. Like, and I think that served them very well as well. And as you were saying, I think that actually kind of played into their longer kicking game. Because I think that longer kicking game has tired them out before. Yeah. But I think with the Stormers, how slow they were playing for the most part, like you would lads, like, you know, looking for their contact lens and going down tying their shoelaces and, you know, something I nearly calling his mam on to get on, get her on and, and tie the laces for him. Like it's just it, it like that slowing down of the game. I think it was to cheese the clock for Stormers, but it helped Connacht as well. Um, but the way that I think, I think even with that, they paced themselves very well. Um, because again, it was a very, very tough, very, very physically challenging game for them. But they'll be delighted with how they how they saw that out, especially given how important it was. Because I think if Connacht lose that and ten points down, you know, midway through the second half, they could have easily lost that game. That would have been them done for the not just for the playoffs, but for Champions Cup. Like, and they're still under big pressure for that. But they did about as good as they could have done here, really, and a great finish to the game. And I, I think that, like, to finish as strongly as they did, given what they've gone through in the recent past, they'll, they'll take a lot, a lot of confidence from that. Yeah, no, I think, look, I think it's, we won't get to it, I think, this evening, but I think it's something that we, we might talk about at another point, is maybe the game management of the South African sides in general, because I think that has been something that's cost them, particularly in the games I've seen against the Irish sides. 
Um, for Connacht, then we had they have Edinburgh away on Friday night. Connacht have now won two on the bounce, including their first away win of the season against Scarlets. Um, Edinburgh have lost their last three URC games after starting so well. For Connacht, uh, both Jack Carty and Dave Heffernan are available after being released from the Ireland camp. Um, Jeff, how do you see that this game going? I need you ask. Need you ask. <laughs> need the you beloved Connacht. <laughs> Yeah, my beloved Connacht. I'm I'm, I'm putting I'm, it all uh, on black again. Let it. Speak. I'm uh, I'm going for Edinburgh, but uh, no, I'm oh, joking. Oh. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, I think um, I think Connacht now have kind of find a nice a nice little groove. Um, I think Carty coming back is massive. Heffernan coming back, I think, is probably understated because himself and um, himself and Carty coming back in are just a nice little boost uh, to Connacht, especially Carty in terms of pulling strings. I don't know who's released back to Edinburgh. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong, they'll probably have players released back as well, so they'll be strong. But an away win in Scarlet's followed up by a pretty, you know, a pretty tough win against the Stormers. You know, like we talked about Ulster there last week, like just get it done. They did that against Stormers. They're now going away to, to Edinburgh. They're on a bit of a bounce. Edinburgh are on the opposite. So I'm going to go with a Connacht win away from home. Uh, I don't know by how much. I don't think it will be much. Um, but I don't think Connacht will care either, be it a point, be it 100, as long as they get a W at the end of the day. That's all that matters. But I'm going to go with my beloved Connacht again this weekend. I'm going to I'm going to follow you with Connacht as well. Coward. I, <laughs> I'm going to stick with them. I think um, they're on a bit of a roll, as you say. I think Jack Carty coming back is a big boost, and Edinburgh will have some people back as well. But I just have a feeling Connacht are coming into a run of games. It, after this that could be difficult for them I think this is their last chance really to get start getting some points again that they'll badly need to get into that sort of seventh and eighth place that they'll need for the URC table and I think this is a must win game for them so I think I'm going to back them and for a, a very narrow win away on uh, Friday night Tom I'm going to go with Edinburgh Ooh, spicy <laughs> spicy do you know why no, I'm going to go with Edinburgh because um, I think that they're playing quite well this season. Uh, I think also they've got um, some good size. They've got some good size available to them coming back as well from Scotland that they'll have the ability to maybe stick at the what Stormers did well, but for longer. Um, I think that that will play a big factor in this game because I remember watching them at Edinburgh against Munster, when was it, two weeks ago? Um, they were quite good in that game. And uh, I think from what I've watched them this season, because I've only done an analysis bit in them like two weeks ago, like I said, they were a good side. And uh, I think that Connacht being without some, you know, you know, I think because Bundyaki, I think we might talk about that later on, just how valuable Bundyaki actually is now to Ireland in particular, but Connacht also. Um, without a guy like that, um, I think that Edinburgh might just be that little bit too strong for them, especially at home. Um, so I'm going to go with a narrow... Um, Edinburgh win, my beloved Edinburgh. Well, someone's going to be right next week, anyway. And it's going to be, it's going to be me. <laughs> Look, just because you have a beef with Andy Friend now, that's your business. He's, he's um, Andy. He's Andy, enemy to me. Oh my god! If I'm listening to this podcast, I'm turning it off right fucking there. Yeah, I made it through little to get Andy, enemy. Andy, enemy. Yeah. No, that's yeah. Moving swiftly on. He's not. My, uh, he's not my Andy friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And we, you know what the worst part is? We won't even edit this out. No, it's, um, if we have to listen to it, so do you, folks. I, do, I yeah. demand it. This is not <laughs> It's in Tom. It's in Tom's contract. We're unable to edit this. So apologies to all the listeners. My bullshit must stay in. <laughs> we'll move on to Munster. Um, so Munster, they had no match last week, but they play the Dragons in Thoman Park on Saturday evening. They have Gavin Coombs and Craig Casey back from Ireland camp. Dragons have won only one game all season, so I'm going to assume. Uh, Rightly or wrongly, this should be a relatively straightforward game for Munster. Um, and we'll, well, we'll get to the predictions in a little bit. I think maybe we'll focus on how we think Munster will approach the next sort of block of games. So I think Munster have four games coming up. They've got the Dragons at home, then they have the Tour to South Africa for the uh, where they play the Bulls and the Lions, and then they have Benetton at home um, prior to the uh, Champions Cups knockouts. So I suppose, how do you see Munster approaching this in terms of giving game time to younger players, how they prepare for the Champions Cup, etc.? So Tom, what do you what do you reckon about that? I'd say it'll be the normal mix and match. You know, um, I think Dragons are are are, are fairly good. I, I think they're better than their position in the in the league. Hey, don't you be shaking your head at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think they're pretty good. Like, like I think they're better than their position in the league shows. But I think Munster will rotate. Um, I, I think it's a fair bet that Josh Richard will be starting because he was doing the press this week. Um, so there'll be a few guys coming in. There'll be, uh, again, I'd say the usual kind of mix and match you would expect at this time of the season. Um, but those games against the the Tour in South Africa is going to be really, really physical. So uh, if I'm uh, Johan van Kron, um, I'm thinking get some minutes into guys here that maybe you wouldn't be looking to play against the Bulls, for example. Um, because again, like what Munster have done fairly typically over this, well, I think over the last four or five years actually, is rotate minutes across a block very, very consistently. So I think a lot of the guys you haven't seen this season so far, you might see them getting bench appearances, maybe the likes of a Sean French, uh, maybe guys like that, maybe another few minutes for Dan Goggin. Um, with the view to that should be enough to get the win um, against the Dragons, who, again, I think are better than their position in the league table shows, but Munster should be beating them and should be looking to get a five-pointer here. I think the same. I think that, you know, against Dragons, you can afford to put in those younger guys and have that mix and match, mm-hmm. kind of like we saw against Zebra, I suppose, uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think then heading over to South Africa, you'll probably have, like, heavy teams, like experienced teams with maybe just dots of an experience mm. here or there and then I think Benetton probably address rehearsal then for Champions Cup and just make sure you know ships in order and everything's good to go like so I, I do think though as well uh, sorry I don't know if I interrupted you or not there Owen I don't know if you were about to say something but I do think as well that that trip to South Africa is going to be seen as like um, how do you say kind of testing players under pressure I suppose seeing how they react to being against a very physical side on a very dry pitch um seeing how you know the, the, and there's also the stresses that come with tour then as well you're away from family away from friends all that jazz if you're an inexperienced guy coming in or maybe one of the younger players coming in you know how are you gonna get on in this kind of atmosphere i think it'll be used as probably for whatever coach is um due to come in next year I think that they will probably be watching those two games especially to see how players are standing up in that too because it's just that bit more of a 
pressured situation like compared to let's say dragons at home yeah i would say actually being i'm sorry i'm jumping in ahead of you there and there <laughs> i'm thinking oh, looking no, at not the, on this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no because i think looking at those games against away to the bulls like, and i know the bulls haven't been necessarily like you know setting the world on fire with, with their performances or anything but the difficulties of playing at altitude and against a big big physical unit like the bulls that I'd say would be not necessarily at an interpro level, but certainly a tier above a kind of a regular season URC game for me, certainly. Um, so that'll show a lot about the, about the, the younger guys and some of those depth guys as well as to show we're like, well, what what are you made of? Like, because it's going to be anxious enough going down to South Africa. Because again, what happened? We all know what happened last time. That's going to be playing in Phyllis heads as well. We're we going to be going, geez, it's gone back down here again. Um, and how guys react to that and the environment, how guys can just switch on and get, you know, and, and be not, not, not that they're not professional, but to kind of have it in a purely professional, we're here to do a job um, and how they react to the pressure of playing the Bulls at altitude is going to be, that's going to be a big challenge. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it in terms of, I think there, there's two levels to it. One you've, you've said there already is about the guys who need to get their minutes and those have been pre-planned in terms of the blocks there. But I think there's also the, the sort of the second side to that is that you need and want guys pushing for the Champions Cup places as well. And you've got to do that. And I mean, within that, I think you've got a, a few spots there. I think, you know, can the likes of maybe uh, Keenan Knox step up and, and sort of cement his place as the, as the bench prop? Uh, for the Champions Cup, you know, you want to see the likes of Josh Witchley, as you said. You want to see the likes of John Hodnett and those guys, Alex Kendallin, step up in, into it um, as well. And I think there, there's, a, there's a few other players around that that will really want to put their name forward. And then you have other guys who are just looking to really, for, in some ways, play, play for their contracts for next season or set out their stall, at least for the new manager or the new coach coming in. So guys like Jake Flannery, who would obviously look to be to be getting some sort of game time over the next sort of three weeks, I think, on that, in, who hasn't seen an awful lot of minutes on the pitch so far this season, but has the potential there if they can sort of establish themselves and do well with that. Um, Predictions-wise, then against the Dragons, we go on three, three wins for Munster. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm going to be covering this game on the radio actually, and um, one of my big things in the radio is is that I am completely biased. If you're listening in on Live 95, I am completely biased, Limited and if it sounds like I'm not being, I'm hiding it. Where like where I have been either cheering when Monster have scored a try, <laughs> when I've been doing it on the radio, and just like because apparently you're not supposed to do that. Like you're meant to be unbiased. Yeah. Yeah, but fuck that. <laughs> sort of frowned upon is it <laughs> the etiquette Owen's going to be behind you and every time you say collision he's going burr, burr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a megaphone and just have <laughs> on my phone just to play right behind are you, are you going to that game Owen? Um, yeah I well I'm hoping to get down for it um, I'm hoping to get down depends on some family stuff but Go on, I'll shout abuse you from the press box <laughs> Oh, friend. Live <laughs> 95. Yeah. Live 95. Live abuse. <laughs> whoever, you're, whoever you're co comes with, just be like, Dan Mooney. Oh, Dan, yeah. Whoever, oh, yeah. turn around to Dan. Sorry, Dan. Just excuse me a second. Fuck you, Owen. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, back. Like, uh, what, what was the guy in the, in the dawn? Fuck you, Deputy Stag. Fuck, Fuck you, you, Deputy Stag. <laughs> no, that, that's a blast from the past now. When was that? That's that feels like. That was the past? That was about eight oh, years God ago, no. was it? 
That's not eight years ago. That's that's late to late two thousands. I'd say we're losing the youth here. The youth demographic are just gone. Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm Who's deputy stag? stag? <laughs> deputy stag. He sounds cool. This deputy stag. Was he? Was he anything to deputy dog? De- deputy stag could be your nick- nickname, Tom. When it you're could talking actually, about monster, yes. yeah, you know, stag. it could actually yeah. could be a good name for a mascot. Which, in fairness, I am. There you are. Right. I think three wins. Yeah, I do think three monster wins. I should say. Yeah. Three wins. And from that, we'll move on to who's that behind you there, Jeff? Ah, Andy, how are you, bud? URC equals best league. Get him out of here. It's not that, Andy. And- <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Andy Bray's popped in there to say URC is the best league. That's your timestamp for this week's competition for a signed Ulster jersey. If you haven't heard previous episodes, all you have to do is email us at Provincial State of Mind with the time that Andy Brace popped in and said URC is the best league. After that, we'll just pick a winner and we'll announce it on next week's episode. So, Owen, back to you, buddy. We'll move on then. As we have the Ulster shirt, we'll move on to Ulster themselves. They had no match last week, um, but they do face Cardiff at home on Friday night. Cardiff are 12th in the URC, eight points off the playoff positions, but they do have three games or more in hand on most of their direct opponents for those places. Ulster have won three on the bounce, but Cardiff have won three of their last four games in the URC. Um, and with the likes of Navidi, Halaholo, and Ellis Jenkins available, um, they should have some sort of a threat to Ulster. Ulster will have John Cooney back from injury, as well as Balakoon, Henderson, Hume, and Timoney back from the Ireland camp. So I suppose a similar question to the Monster one, how will Ulster approach the next four games against Cardiff and Leinster at home before their tour to South Africa for the Stormers and Bulls uh, games. Jeff, I'll go to you on that one first. I think that their approach will be kind of the same, but they have a much bigger task ahead of them, I think, than Munster. And this is kind of no disrespect to Dragons. Well, I suppose it's a little bit of disrespect to Dragons, but Cardiff are a better team. Um, Leinster are a better team than Benetton, and it comes sooner than a trip to South Africa. Um, I think that they'll use Cardiff to prep for Leinster, obviously, and obviously they'll have one eye on Cardiff because Ulster don't like losing games this season, uh, as we kind of talked about there last week. They'll look to beat Cardiff, and I think especially with the likes of um, Cooney coming back, Balakoon, Henderson, Hume, Timoney, like that's a lot coming back into one team. Like That's a lot, and it's especially a lot coming back into one team that are doing the business without them as well. Um Leinster, I think, is going to be um, almost like, like I don't, I, I'm not dismissing Leinster here. No, don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about as the four runs of games. I think Leinster is going to kind of be like that dressing act for that tour to South Africa. Like this is what you can expect. If you want to beat Leinster, you have to beat them physically first off. If you want to beat a South African team, you have to beat them physically. And, you know, I think it's a dress rehearsal. That's the word I was looking for. I think it's going to be like that for that tour to South Africa. Now, after that tour for South Africa, they're in the Champions Cup game against Toulouse. And again, to beat Toulouse, you have to beat them physically. If you allow Toulouse to play their own game, they will literally run riot against you because they have the talent to do so and they have the forwards to give them that platform. So if you look, if you actually look at their next five games coming up with Cardiff, Leinster, Stormers, Bulls, followed by Toulouse, Toulouse twice, I suppose, Champions Cup, or six games in that case. That is a hell of a lot of physicality that you need to bring into that game. And not even like 
you know, is a case of building up to Toulouse. Like that is right from the off. If you're going to, I suppose, negate Navidi, Halahoho, Jenkins, you have to be physical from the start. Same with Leinster, same with the South African teams, as I said already, right? I think Ulster's biggest challenge over the next number of games, four, five, six games, is going to be not only keeping their squad fresh, but rotating them enough that you're still getting that consistency and performance and also managing minutes as well heading in. So, like, I mean, if we look at Stuart McCluskey, just for sake of argument, right? So he's back from full fitness now. There's a very strong probability he's not going to be involved with Ireland by any means in the next couple of weeks, right? So that means he's going to be available for Ulster. Is he going to be played every minute of all those six games? Like, that's a lot especially for someone as physical as him in 12, let alone for like what the back row are going to have to face. So I think that managing guys, making sure that they're getting enough game time just to keep them taking over and to make sure they're at full full tilt heading into every game, especially heading towards those two lose games, um, that's going to be a big challenge. And I think the fact that that trip to South Africa just before two lose, I think that, that that's a lovely bit of timing, I suppose, for Ulster because... You go away for two weeks, you bond as a team, you kind of just get ready. Don't get me wrong, you're focused on the games at hand, but at the end of that, you know, there's that carrot of this is what we've been prepping for now for the last, well, all season really, like when you think about it, you know, because Ulster want to create something special. There's no better team to beat to show that you're onto something special than to lose at the moment. So I think while they have a very tough run of games ahead of them and a, a very big task in each of them, don't get me wrong, I think that Ulster like that mentality we spoke about last week, I think they're in that place that they can take every one of those bit by bit or step by step, I should say, and just continue on their path to creating something special. But their biggest challenge is just going to be making sure, well, I know you can't make sure fellas don't get injured, but just making sure they're managing minutes, fellas are fresh and everything kind of leads towards to lose for me, to be honest. Well, I, I think they're going to have to target some of these games because I think, okay, you've got the Cardiff game now, but you've also got the Leinster game that, is on the same day as the Ireland-England match. So Leinster are not going to be at full strength for this. And I think this is one of the things that Ulster have, the way the fixtures have fallen and been rearranged, Ulster have, I think, probably the best chance of coming away with two wins against against Leinster for, out of this. So they have a real chance there. And then I think you've got, you, you have to look at that South African tour and you have to figure out, and Dan McFarland has to figure out okay, what do we do for these two weeks? Because they play the Bulls on a Saturday and then they have to go away to to lose the following Saturday at the end of that. So I think they have to figure out, are they going to bring the internationals back? And are they going to fly them down to South Africa to try and get them game time, even the guys who are on the fringes? Um, You know, because you'll have the likes of Lowry, Henderson, Hume, all these guys that are likely, it's not like you can just drive up the M1 and you're going from Dublin to Belfast and you can get in, you can sort of get them a bit of game time or even training. They're they're out of the way um, down in South Africa. It's going to be hard to reintegrate them. And I think they have to make a decision on that. Are they holding them back and hold, hoping that everyone, you hold some of them back and you send a very sort of youthful looking side out to South Africa and just look for that experience? Or how do you target it? Because I think if they, if they went full bore at it, and went against the Stormers and Bulls with, with the full squad, I think coming back against Toulouse could really, really um, turn against them. I don't, th- I, I don't think they would sorry, bring... Yeah. I, I don't think they would bring all the internationals out, to be honest with you. Like, if you look at, let's say... Well, I suppose none of those players that we mentioned have been getting 
full games, I suppose. So they're relatively fresher than the rest. But let's say in the next two games, if you have someone like, uh, just for sake of argument, Hume starts both games and plays 80 minutes for both games, you probably won't fly him if Henderson only plays maybe half of that or less than that. You know, probably what's the harm? So I think there is that management that does have to come in there too. Sorry, Tom. Because I, 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 I think because Munster were looking to ahead of the, the first Champions Cup game, they were looking to bring um, they were looking to bring the the test guys down to South Africa with a view to playing them and kind of almost running them into the next week uh, against Wasps, and they were they were haunted actually that 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 didn't happen given what played out. But I think for Ulster, like it's like you said there, that's very very challenging, you know. And I think on that South African tour, because I think again. Monster will be able to tell you how difficult it is to come back to play a big, big Champions Cup game against the likes of a Toulouse, for example. Monster had to do it against Racing, um, where the, the start of that game for Monster was, and you probably remember it was just diabolical, you know, flat, no energy, and the game was gone. So if I'm looking at, um, if I'm looking at Ulster, I'm thinking that this game against Cardiff on Friday, or is it Friday or whatever it is, it's very difficult because Cardiff are a very good side. They play a very, very um, effective style of rugby. Um, and on their day, they're incredibly difficult to beat. Um, I think that Ulster should beat them, though. And I think that game coming up against Leinster is a massive opportunity for Ulster to directly damage Leinster, who are challenging uh, with them at the top of the Irish Shield and on top of the URC uh, log. And like Ulster will fancy their chances of winning that game, given the, the players that, that Leinster will be missing. And um, that alone should give them space on the tour to South Africa, where you can ship, maybe you target the first game you put out a, a a more rotated side for the second and look to bring guys back in fresh then for the Toulouse game but I think if they get that win against Cardiff and then against Leinster that gives them that space where you can not, not, not throw the game but you can manage your 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 schedule a little bit better talking to Timony McCluskey and Hume before all three of them said the same thing like without actually knowing they each said it they all said when Ulster have a full starting 23, like a full strength 23, they fully believe they're capable of beating anybody. So I think, like Tom, you said there, like, you know, they'll, they'll be targeting Leinster because of who Leinster are missing. I think they'd be targeting that game regardless, to be honest with you, just because of the way they're going this season. But I think they'll be heading into that Toulouse game. Hopefully everything going to plan for Ulster, but I think they'll be heading into that with, we don't care, it's Toulouse. We've been doing the business all season. And that's, you can't buy that. You can't, you can't get that mentality just by, you know, they're not just words on a dressing room wall or something like they're fucking, they're hard earned words. And I think Ulster are doing that at the moment. Yeah. But it'd be very interesting, interesting to me to see how they survive to lose this physicality. Cause I think that'll be the biggest physical challenge that Ulster will have faced this season. I think yeah. more so than any other game they've played. Two and that alone, and yeah. And, and that alone would be a big, That'll be a big because again, that's a two-legged game. Yeah. So that's a big, like that. That's a big ask for that group to see how they perform against the likes of a Cyril Boy, the likes of a you know Marchand, the likes of the you know the the Arnold brothers, and you know like that's going to be very very difficult for them. But I think I like I wouldn't bet against Ulster at the moment, like not the way that they're playing. But it's a very difficult schedule, and I think that the first two games this uh, in in that schedule, I think win those and you can pl- you can you can play smart with the other with, with the south african tour Lo- you know lose one of like as in they could lose to cardiff like cardiff are very good side i think you lose two games 
you know, drop a narrow loss at home to Leinster, which I'd be, I'd be surprised at at the moment, to be honest. You look at that and you go, all of a sudden, they're under big pressure for that, for that South African tour. Because again, you want a high position to finish in the URC. Like again, this tournament is going to ratchet up really, really high pressure by the time it's finished, uh, by the time the regular season comes to a close. So like, I, I think to give them the best chance against Toulouse, I think you win these two games coming up and you can play smart then with the with the the the, the tour to South Africa without necessarily having to upscale guys really really quickly after what's going to be a very tough um like uh, end to the six nations and uh, I think getting those all all those guys back together I think again if you ship one loss on tour to South Africa I think everybody be happy enough with that um and when you go to that game against Toulouse you know come into it with a relatively fresh side and not necessarily have to bring a ton of those guys down to South Africa with you because I think that is a risky premise. Yep, and I, I think one one of the things that we're we're seeing at the moment, and you mentioned it there, Tom, is that the table is beginning to rebalance itself. The URC table is beginning to rebalance itself from the games that have been postponed, and you can see the South African sides starting to come back into it a bit more, and as well as teams like Cardiff that just haven't played enough games. And I think Cardiff are going to be a real challenge for Ulster on. Friday night, I think with with the players that Ulster are getting back, I think they probably, and home advantage as well, I think they probably should have enough just to squeeze by. So I'm going to go for a Cardiff this week. Jeff? Uh, I'm going to go with Ulster. Or sorry, I'm going to, sorry, I'm, I'm going to go with Ulster. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know, I agree. Yeah. I'm going to go with Ulster. Is that... I'm um, going to go with Ulster too. So my, three, my, three my beloved Ulster. <laughs> it does. It does actually feel a bit like we've done nothing but praise Ulster on this podcast in the last 13, 14 weeks. Heaven forfend that we that we don't praise Ulster. God forbid. Or, or the right <laughs> Ulster players or something. God knows. Yes. Oh, and calm down, calm down. We'll move on uh, quickly, shall we? We'll move on from there. So moving on uh, to Leinster then. Leinster had a 21-13 win at home to the Lions on Friday night, thanks to tries from Dave Carney, Mike Alnatoa and Scott Penny. A much closer game than expected with the Lions unable to take advantage of their absolute scrum dominance. And I just want to mention this, and I know I mentioned it in the group chat during the game, I was just in awe of the leg size of the Lions' tight head, Carlo Sadi, a man born to scrum. I mean, I I don't know who, who else has seen that game and saw him as he was setting to scrum. The man has ties that, I mean... It felt like I could I, put both my legs into one leg of his shorts. I'm, I'm going to guess that he has to have actual trail. I think we he lost is going Russia. shopping. There's no way he goes shopping in a normal shop and buys something that will actually fit over those ties. Like you're, I'm, you're, I'm a big, your enthusiasm I'm, for how thick that guy is made the actual line disconnect for a second there. Yeah, <laughs> that's how much enthusiasm for the, the raw thickness of this guy. People can't see this video, but Owen's getting very flustered. I am telling you, as a man, so, as a man who loves baggy Owen, jeans. <laughs> As a man who loves baggy jeans and has had to st- uh, has to sit through this entire phase of skinny jeans and everything else that these youngsters are putting upon us now, to see a man who has to that size of a leg that is just born to scrummage, he absolutely tore apart that Leinster scrum on Friday night. It was I, I used to wear skinny to jeans actually before I put on back on all the weight. So there you go. Well, I'm looking to try and get back down if it wasn't for those bloody pretzels. pretzels. <laughs> too many pretzels 
and you can turn baggy jeans into skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> just keep going. Just keep eating those pretzels. <laughs> Every same. jeans can be skinny jeans if you want, if you want it hard enough. It's just the same way, but just the wrong way to go about it. <laughs> oh God! I think um, I think that Leinster game. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I think we've been seeing a Leinster team that, do you know the way we talked about Ulster just getting the job done and there's no kind of, there might be no thrills, no frills, just go out, get the points, job done. I think we're actually seeing the same kind of thing with Leinster lately. And I think we will see a spark. I'd let, Well, this is just my opinion, but I do think we will see a spark coming from Leinster. Like we kind of mentioned before that Leinster aren't playing like they were last year. Or maybe other people are saying, like, you know, it's not the kind of Leinster team that we've seen in the past in terms of, I don't know, pizzazz or whatever, jazz hands and all that. But I do think that that will come and that until it does, Leinster are still just grinding away. I think they will be probably a bit annoyed they didn't get a bonus point against the Lions at home there last weekend. But at the same time, you know, they got it, they got to win. Like they're still on the right path. They're still just kind of chugging away there nicely. Um I think I, I I do think that you know there's a lot of positives to take from that Leinster performance at the same time. I think look, there's yeah, there's there's a lot to take from it, but they're not at the same level they were, and that sort of whether you want to call it a second team or not or a rotated team, they just they're not clicking the same way as they have done in seasons past, and I think there's more of a reliance on the internationals coming back fit and in form when they do come back for Leinster to kick on because over the last three, four weeks, as you said, it's been workmanlike rather than I think sort of um, impressive more so. And I think even as they've gone through the last few games, the the level of performance hasn't got there. I I think um, they were quite lucky. I thought if the Lions had a better kicking game and had managed the game, a lot better and had actually stuck with their scrum. I thought that the Lions absolutely obliterated the Leinster scrum and it got to the point where I thought that they should have stuck with it and kept it back going back instead of kicking for the corners or kicking down the line, just continue to take the scrum and play for a yellow card. And I thought that was poor game management from the Lions. Tom? Uh, yeah, I, I think this game kind of showed two sides to Leinster. One, how gritty they are. Uh, just the quality of the guys that they have there to kind of see out. Like we've seen Leinster before when they lose games in in Europe at the at the highest end, it comes up against teams who are able to dominate them physically. And I think the Lions did that for large portions of the game, not just in the scrum, but I think in in the the collisions they were kind of. I think the Lions were really actually kind of got parity with Leinster. We don't often see that, like. And I, I think looking at the way Leinster were able to still grind out the win, it shows an awful lot about how good uh, a lot of those players are, which we know, obviously. But again, you look at the Lions, they look back at that and go that they fucked away a win there as well. Like you look at the Lions, I think half back kind of really hurt them. Well, 10 certainly. Um, but that Lions pack and that Lions scrum, they really, really put a lot of pressure on Leinster. And I think that I would agree with you there as well, Owen, to an extent where I think Leinster... Uh, I, I think it might be almost reductive for me to say that they need to get, you know, that, that they're much better when you get the likes of Andrew Porter and Ty Furlong and these other guys back in, which I mean, obviously they are. But I, I think that the, the other teams in the league, I think, have certainly caught up with that Leinster 
test window side, I would say. I don't think that's unfair to say. And I think you're looking at the way that, that the Lions approach this game, that's a, a look for other teams this year because I think even when you bring in, I think we, we might speak a little bit about, about this with the Ireland game as well, where the, the physicality that the Lions had kind of gives you a, a, a kind of a, a roadmap as to how to approach Leinster for certain bigger teams, especially when it comes to the, to the, the business end of, of Europe and even the URC, I think, as well, where that's something where Leinster are not really used to playing with a physical disadvantage for the most part. I mean, if you look at the games Leinster win up and down the URC and in Europe, they're normally playing with a physical advantage like and, 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 and all the benefits that comes with it. And I thought they did well to grind through this, this game where they were, they were struggling, I felt, at times to live with the Lions' physicality. But that's something I think that will stand to them. And I think it's something that can only benefit them going forward. Uh, and they still managed to win the game. But I think Lions' physicality really did kind of put it up to Leinster. And I think that, you know, it, it, people wondering, geez, why, why did Leinster not fire? Why didn't, you know, it was dealing with the physicality of the Lions on both sides of the ball and at the set piece. Um, was something that Leinster really had to get a real handle on. You know, I think that's not something that came very easily to them in the game. They really worked at it. And, and again, it's a credit to them for, for working through that. Yeah, and I suppose we'll just come on to something there that you talked about, Tom. So in terms of contract news for Leinster um, this week, we've seen uh, Doris, Connors, Deegan and Larmer all re-sign. But I suppose the, the two big news stories for, for Leinster um, have been well one today which is Ross Byrne has announced that he's re-signing and the second one in terms of the physicality that you were talking about there is the signing of Jason Jenkins from uh, Munster to join to join Leinster and I mean talking about that physicality that is that second row I look it's an area we've talked about for both for Ireland and particularly for Leinster is something that they they needed to um, address and I think this is going to be a very positive move for Leinster as a team in that it's a Jenkins, despite all the press and I suppose unfair coverage. And I'm going to be very nice about that. The egg on the, egg on the faces of the pundit community. Yeah. And let, let's call it for what it is. Like there's some of the xenophobic crap that has come out from the left wing and everywhere else. Ironically. This, you know, Ironically, yeah, <laughs> the left wing, whatever way you want to put it, I look, I'm, I'm happy to, to call it on that, you know, morally wrong and all this sort of stuff. I, who said like, that, by the way, the morally wrong thing? I kept hearing that. I'm not sure who that was, but whoever it was, it's all bullshit. Exactly. You know, they're left with, as you said, a lot of egg on their face now because Jenkins is actually a very good fit for, for Leinster and what he does. Big, strong, tight head lock, also is able to carry. He is going yeah. to fit into exactly what they need and into their system very well. The thing is, like Leo Cullen doesn't buy into any of that nonsense, by the way. Like there was a lot of people talking about like Jason Jenkins about oh, he's a big lump and all this other stuff. Like Leo Cullen, like he knows what will get the best out of James Ryan in the second row. And it's a guy like Jason Jenkins. And that's like as close to a fact as you can get. They wouldn't have signed him, they wouldn't have paid like this is not a cheap signing. Like people had this, in, they had this in their head to disco. Like, the, 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 like it was a cut price signing. Absolutely not. This is not a cut price signing at all. You think guys like six foot eight, 125 kg plus, who can play a ball like Jason Jenkins, are coming up there for a hot dog and a handshake? Absolutely not. And it's just like it, it's just one of those things where I think people wanted Eben Etzebeth, but like Eben Etzebeth would not be a good fit for what Leinster need. 
Jason Jenkins is. Like, like even at Tibet, isn't the player type that people think he is. They see, oh, big muscles, big South African. He's the guy we need. It's not. Jason Jenkins will give them the power, the direct kind of power carrying game that isn't really what he, even at Tibet does. I'm sure he can do it to a certain level, but that's not really his game. Like Jason Jenkins will make James Ryan a better player. Like he'll, he, he'll, he will he'll make also James be Ryan. there during international windows, is it? 100%. It's something that'll be really like, it, it's exactly what Leinster need. And like, it's just one of those things that, you know, we'll talk about the other contracting work as well. That's going to be a hugely important signing for them. And you will see it when they play the likes of La Rochelle with Will Skelton or Toulouse, where a, a fit Jason Jenkins will make them like in, immeasurably better and, and, and way better uh, uh, equipped to deal with these big power sides who Leinster have struggled with when it comes to the, to the business end of Europe for a while now. I think another signing there that's going to help too, uh, it's a re-signing, Reese Ruddock staying there. I think a guy like Jenkins will compliment him nicely too, or they'll compliment each other too as well. But I think Reese Ruddock was one of the, in my eyes anyway, one of the most important signings that Leinster probably had over the last week or so. Also like to give a shout out to Leinster for uh, getting all these signings out before recording on Wednesday, by the way. Last time they kind of waited just a little bit too long and we missed the cutoff, but uh Thanks for monster bias is what yeah, it that's is. It. That's it. Thanks for being sound this week, anyway. But um, no, I do think I do think Ruddock uh, is a is a brilliant player to keep on the books. Um, but just because, oh, and I think it was actually what you said it to me before. Like when it comes to the big games, like Leinster usually look at Ruddock too. I think he's a very understated player, and I think he brings an awful lot to the table that people may not just see because again we're looking at the we're looking at the line breaks or we're looking at the you know, the, the side steps or whatever it is, but like he does an awful lot of good work too. Yeah, look, and I'm, I've said, like, I, I think it was something I had said to, to you maybe on one of the Loose Head podcasts previously. When, when Leinster go to battle against the bigger teams, despite all the internationals available to them in the back row, Reese Roddick is the guy that plays at six. And he does that because of some, I think because of some of the shortcomings that were there in the second row that they had. And I think if you can add Jenkins to that and you have the likes of Reese Ruddock there, that improves them immeasurably um, on that. And I think, you know, the other the other thing moving on slightly here from, from Jason Jenkins is Ross Byrne is a, is a huge one. You know, he wasn't a player that was necessarily expected to, to re-sign with Leinster. There was a lot of interest from French clubs there at the moment. And, you know, I, but I do think it is a good decision from Ross Byrne himself. And I, I, I mean, I'll kick it off on this. I mean, Sexton isn't getting any younger. He isn't going to be playing at the top level for that much longer. Um, Another five or 10 years, baby. <laughs> cryogenics, you know. <laughs> Is going to end up with something like a you know what is it Dolly the sheep where they just try and get the sort of genetics right and just sort of replicate them there somewhere in the corner. That's where all the money is going in in the sort of the the training ground and new facilities for Lancer. But like Ross Byrne is going to be end up even if even if they got another out half in if even if they sign a brand new out half Ross Byrne at worst is probably going to become the second or third choice at Leinster over the next two to three years if he stays that long. You got Harry Byrne yeah. there too, though. But even if you look at it now, in that Harry Byrne at the moment isn't ready for that. Harry Byrne is even they're playing him at sort of twelve rather than necessarily the ten, even when the, the two of them are playing. In that, yeah. And Ross Ross has been picked ahead of him quite a bit this season as well. 
Um, I, I think there, I think the the hype on Ross Byrne has actually been on on Harry Byrne has been unfair on Harry Byrne the player and the expectations I think that people have of him where. Like this is a, a sensible signing from from Leinster when they didn't get the, the the guy who they were interested in to come in directly. Um, you have a guy like Ross Byrne who, like, how many top games has he played for Leinster? Like, I don't think he's an elite level ten. I, I I think that's fair enough to say, but I think what he does give them is solidity, continuity. That's a guy who you know can give you a very Sexton like experience at at ten, and and I, I think that. His profile compared to Sexton, they're they're similar-ish players. I would put Sexton at the at the top end of that scale, but I, I think when you look at Harry Byrne, like this is a guy who again is a very talented young player. Who I think the hype around him would make you think, Jesus, why, why have they re-signed Ross Byrne? Sure, Harry Byrne is right there. He's still very raw, and he's I think he's still a good. I'd say maybe two plus years away from becoming the guy who could be the guy at Leinster, um, but. Part of me thinks as well, I think we'll more than likely see Sexton sign up until the World Cup. I think that should be announced relatively soon. I'd be surprised if it was anything more or less than that, actually. Um, but I think that's the the big thing for Leinster is that transition post-Sexton. We're kind of seeing the first, I suppose, kind of signs of it now as to what they're looking at. Uh, I think Ross Byrne, I don't, I don't think we've seen duration here, but we're assuming maybe a two-year deal. That gives them stability it means that they've kind of hedged their bets a little bit i think they know that ross Byrne isn't going to be a guy who's going to be you know ripping the jersey off johnny sexton and then going on to be a dominant guy for ireland which i think leinster need to have a guy at that level because again with the size and power they have that doesn't really work unless you've got an elite level 10 i think for me anyway if you don't have that guy you either have to be developing a guy or signing a guy to come in and do that for you if you want to win the big trophies um, and I think that that's a, an area of concern for Leinster, as it will be for any team losing a generational talent like Sexton in the next two years. Of course, if, that, that, that's assuming he retires and just doesn't go on playing indefinitely. But that's the thing. I think that it's it's sensible from Leinster because, like, as in, as far as I'm aware, they did make a big a big play for Joey Carberry from the stuff I hear around the place. So it's something that they were obviously looking to make a move on. Um, but if you know Carberry's obviously staying at Monster for the time being. And I'm saying the time being, because who knows what's going to happen in the future? Like, it's just one of those things that um, the post-Sexton era, a bit like the post-Ogara era of Munster, the one thing we know is that things are going to be unpredictable. Yeah, and then I, I think we'll, we'll leave that there in, in terms of the signing. So Leinster now have a run of six consecutive away games in the URC, starting with a visit to Italy to face Benetton on Saturday. Leinster have won uh, their last three URC games while Benetton have been a tricky opponent for them in the past. The hosts haven't been in great form this year with only one win in their last five URC games. Jeff, how do you see this one playing out? Um, I am first off going to say I see a Leinster win coming, but I would advise people, if they can, to watch this game because I think it has the potential to be the game of the weekend. Like you said there, Benetton or Benetton-Leinster, Usually a tricky affair. I've been lucky enough to commentate on two of the games in the re- in maybe last two years, and they have been absolutely brilliant to watch. And I remember maybe Were you able to hide your bias for the Benetton bandwagon bus. Yeah, I, did, I, I didn't say we once. Um, you did. but 
Um, my beloved Benetton has been added to the lexicon, has it? What, what did I say? I was like, we Benetton have done, but no, I don't um, But they, they are, they, and they have been absolutely cracking games in the last couple of years, uh, Benetton versus Leinster. So I would, I, I am going to go for a Leinster win, but I'd advise people to watch that because something tells me it's going to be a great game. I'll follow you with a, a, a Leinster win on that, Tom. I'm going to go with a Leinster win. Um, I just think that they'll be just a little bit too good for Benetton. They've had a bit of a... Benetton have been roping off at times this season, but I think they should have guys back from, from Italy camp as well, I think. Um, so it could be a fair bit closer than what maybe it might seem looking at the, the recent form of both sides. So I'd say I'm going to go with a Leinster win and I'm going to go with a bonus point as well. Probably fair. Mm. Yeah. I think so. even so though then, I despise no, Leinster <laughs> <laughs> look it's it's easier just to list who you don't have a beef with at this point <laughs> I, don't even th- I don't even think he likes us I just think no. he likes Munster and pretzels Munster pretzels and looking at my own reflection in the mirror as deputy, I'm doing right now I can see it in the window outside of Deputy Stag Deputy Stag <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll move on to the uh, Six Nations and Ireland versus Italy. Ireland had a comfortable nine try, 57 points to six win against Italy in a game dominated by the sending off of the Italian reserve hooker. And here's my weekly um, butchering of names, Hame Favia, or Fava, I can't even pronounce that, which reduced Italy to 13 men after only 18 minutes. Um, there's been a lot of talk around the law and the ruling on this and I think first of all I want to, to point out the re- I thought the referee did a fantastic job of brilliant handling job. that brilliant job you know we, we're we're I like to think that we were constructively critical of referees when they get things wrong and I, I think it's only right to on air anyway do something on air, yes. <laughs> when, when when they do something and they get something as big a call as this correct in the heat of the moment without any um, interference on that. And I thought it was excellent. The only thing is I would, I do feel sorry for the Italian number eight that was just ordered off. <laughs> you know, it should have been a substitution made and the referee just ordered them off because no one was actually listening to him or could understand the rule that was there. I was in the stands for this and they announced it over the Tanoi. Uh, number eight, Toa Halafihi must leave the field. And everyone was just like, what? <laughs> what is going on? It's, it's funny. You Did they give that. the range of his car as well that he had to move? <laughs> Could anyone driving and 191? <laughs> As if anybody who goes to the that goes to the like the the, the, the first couple of seats of the Aviva is driving a one nine one. Can you imagine the shame of it? <laughs> it's it's funny though that you said that uh, they announced it over the tannoy because when I saw Fiva got get the red card, I turned to my wife at the time who well still my wife I, but at the time I turned to my wife. I phrased that. I phrased that wrong. No, at the time I turned to my wife and I said, "They're going to go down to thirteen minutes now in a second And she was like, "What you mean?" I goes, "As soon as the scrum happens now, Italy are going to have to go down to 13 And lo and behold, it happened. But I, I did feel the ref did very well, and he asked Italy three times if they had someone suitably trained to come in and play in that position, and Italy didn't 
answer him. They just kept saying no. And then 20 minutes later, they said, oh, we do. It's far too late. Yeah, far, even though like they had like a, a prop who throws some of the best lineouts I've ever seen a prop yeah. throw. Like, unreal. Yeah, yeah, how good, how good. Unreal. But good. I, th- I think it doesn't matter even if they, and I'm, I'm bow to someone's more technical knowledge on this, even if they had someone who could play it and was willing to do it, it has to be marked on the team sheet. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump in on that one there. Um, so at professional level, it's slightly different. If they say they have someone suitably trained in the front row to play hooker, like if one of the props turns to the referee and says, like, I'm suitably trained to do this, the referee would drive on. Yeah. Um, but the player themselves have to say they're suitably trained suitably because trained. Okay. If, if you remember there, was it last year, Bath Wasps, I think it was Wayne Barnes and one of the players, Wayne Barnes was like, are you going in hooker? And the player, it was a prop. He said, I'm not, I'm not suitably trained for this. I'm not yeah. doing it. I remember and then, that they, then they dropped. And I remember afterwards on social media, there was a big, um, like fair, fair play to him for not bowing to the pressure of having to go in. Um, so that's what happens there. Now that's at professional level. I think it's different. Um, like at our level, at amateur level, I know if you drop to uncontested scrums, you have to drop a player. Like, so that's still there. But like, I mean, at amateur level, you can, like you know just clubs all around the country probably every weekend saying just jump in there prop all you have to do is just bend over hold that you'll be fine but at that level if you're not suitably trained to go in against the likes of furlong sheehan and porter like they are going to eat you like so they they were asked anyway if you have anyone suitably trained to go in the last three times said no um so too late you know 20 minutes later when they said yeah we do so referee i think did a fine job I think so, and I, I think one of the other things is that, like we t- we talk about the rule, the rule is there for a very specific reason, and it's to stop team teams cheating in terms of, and going directly to uncontested scrums. I think this is a very unfortunate outcome because of the injury first, and then it's the reserve the reserve hooker on, um. But like it's there for a valid reason, and I don't necessarily see the the reason to to change that rule i know there's been some talk about you know oh we have to change this and we have to do it and should it only be a 20 minute red card or bullshit. things like that it's absolute bullshit to me you've owen's got so worked up about bullshit. this again he's he's broken the internet yeah because <laughs> i'll tell you what i looked into this right because again in the stadium like people there was a kind of a, a real feeling that people were kind of like kind of shortchanged a little bit you know because like pay a lot of money to go to the Aviva and then you see that and it's basically a kind of a glorified training run for for 60 minutes essentially you know and I think people were a bit cheesed off at that certainly watching it at home you feel like your 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 afternoon of rugby the spectacle of it is, is kind of being ruined but watch, it is there watch, for a good watch, reason watching it at home was like okay I'll go make the dinner now and keep one eye on that game yeah, that, 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 that's kind of what it turned into because I was able to write my review for the examiner like while sitting down in the stands like on my phone. Like was, <laughs> there wasn't much going on, you know. But like you're, um, you look at the, um, the ruling, right? Go back to 2008, right? Ian McGeekin's WASP side, right? They were really, really good at that time. And, but they had a problem in the scrum. And they ran into it in the run-in in the premiership that year where they kept running into teams who were really, really big scrummaging teams. They started to lose control of the games. And then, geez, wouldn't you know it, an injury to the prop. And now, God, we have to go to uncontested scrums. What a shame. And they went on to win that semi-final against Bath when they were under trouble against the scrum. And then in the final against Leicester, the same thing happened again. 
where they were under fierce pressure in the scrum. And then all of a sudden, geez, gosh, gee, Willikers didn't our one of our props aren't they injured again. So now they go to uncontested scrums and they end up winning that game as well. And there was a lot of heat in the media at that time. Um, and I have an article where I looked at it. And one of the suggestions was there's this rule that they have in France that if the team who goes, uh, who forces the, the, the game to go to uncontested scrums because of a sending off have to go down to 13 players. This is in 2006 that that law was being, being spoken about because the scrum is meant to be an attacking platform. And if you take that away from the opposition because you can't field a scrummaging unit, I think you should have a punishment for that. Otherwise, like teams would just be over and we're getting pumped in the scrum. Oh, guess we won't. We guess we won't scrummage then. And if you look, if you if you want a good example of that, if people cast their minds back to the 2019 World Cup final, England South Africa, South Africa scrum won them that game. Uh, Five and- penalties that uh, their, their scrum won, which, which again the average these days is 3.8 scrum penalties per game. South Africa got five in that game, and if England could have gone down to uncontested scrums there, they would have absolutely done it. Not a bother. So it's an interesting, like, I, I kind of see both sides of it, don't get me wrong. As a fan, I was watching the game and I thought to myself, contest is over now. Kind of, like I said, I can make the dinner, keep an eye on the game, probably not study it as much as you could. Um, but on the other side of it, I, I see, I think it's a necessary evil, I suppose, if that's the if that's the phrase I could put on it. Like, I understand, I fully understand why it's there and why it's, it happened so rarely um like it happened didn't it happen italy in the world cup against south africa as well i think so like while 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 i know it's it's so rare that it happens i do think it's a necessary evil to stop that platform uh, on the other hand then as well like people were saying that there should be ways around it and i saw uh, I, I saw someone anyway on social media saying maybe the referee should make a judgment call on it i think that's highly unfair to put someone who's under that much pressure already to call a game to turn around and say, well, look, as referee, you now have to deem whether this injury is actually a true injury or not. And, uh, you know, the, that kind of decision hinges on your judgment. I think that's hugely unfair. And I don't think that should be brought in whatsoever either. No, because it, well, the minute you start allowing things like that, you're asking teams to actually, you're asking a referee, putting them in a very difficult position. And teams will push things to the limits. And they will try and get away with it. And I think it's there. And it has to be there as a deterrent for that. And unfortunately, there will be one or two games that get, um, I suppose, that are sort of affected by it or impacted by it. But you've also got to put it on the other side. There are, there are God knows how many other games that are not impacted because that law is already there. And I think it's got to be the, the flip side that's looked at that. But I, I mean, look, getting back to the match itself, you know, I suppose one of the things that I saw around, you know, Ireland scored nine tries, but I would say that their attack probably didn't fire fully throughout the game. I, I thought um, there was a lot of talk, I think, both on social media and a lot of the pundits talking about Ireland playing very lateral within that. And like I think some of, that, some of that is probably true, but I think maybe the one thing that stood out to me was that Ireland... Ireland didn't take the ball to the game line and look for contact in that. They had their pods. I think if Ireland had gone through the phases and had actually looked for rooks, they could have done better. To me, I had I had seen a lot of guys taking the ball to the line and then shipping it on. And I'd seen the, the Italian defence able to just drift and use the touchline. They were willing to concede ground, but they were able to drift and use the touchline as an extra defender in that instance. 
And I don't think Ireland necessarily went through their structures fully. They played to their patterns, but they didn't necessarily engage the Italian defence enough to make the extra men count. I don't know whether either of you had, had seen something similar or something different within that. I think I think it's a fair point, but also when you're playing against 13, if it's a two-man tackle, 11 on their feet, that means that there is space somewhere. So that's probably why we saw the ball being moved laterally so quickly. It's because the space didn't have to be created. The space was probably already there, if that makes sense. Um, now, I think on the other hand then as well, and I don't know if you want to correct me on this maybe, but sometimes when a game is over as a contest, it's kind of easy to switch off that little bit because you know, okay, we can just play here and we're still going to come out with what we need. So was there an element of that there? I don't know. I'm not saying that the team wasn't professional in the way they went about the rest of the game, but it was such a stop-start game, very difficult to get any sort of tempo in it. I'd say if you're a player playing in it, you're almost getting frustrated by the fact that as soon as you put maybe eight phases together, you know, a whistle's been blown for something or a ball's been dropped somewhere by something. And it's probably almost more frustrating to play in a game like that where you're two men up, where you're two men up and you kind of know, okay, as a contest, this is probably over. If it's 15 on 15 and you have to stay mentally switched on fully, it's probably a different ball game. Now, I don't know if I'm being fair and saying that or unfair and saying that, but maybe... Oh, I, I, I think I think that is a fair point. I, one of the things that I saw was maybe a slight change when, when Sexton came on was that Ireland didn't necessarily play fully to their patterns of 9 and 10, is that they went wider quicker into that space. Uh, out wide um, and sort of went for the space rather than necessarily ran a pattern to get there as they would have done against 15 and I don't think they necessarily adapted on the on the fly as well as they could have um, but I think there is a, a level in there that at, at, at no point did Ireland look in any danger of, of losing that game even even within sort of from 15-20 minutes out so the, the, there was no, no danger in that and it was little more than a training run at times, I think. Yeah, I, I did a, uh, I do a review every week of the breakdown um, for every game. Well, most games. Um, uh, Monster in Ireland. This this week I did it for the Ireland game. And something weird popped up um, on my metrics for it. When Ireland play really, really well, and I'm talking about when Ireland beat New Zealand and Wales, uh, our midfield have a massive output at the breakdown offensively um and this week i would i would have expected coming into the game that they are that irish you know the, the two midfield uh, of uh, henshaw and ringrose and ringrose would have had a fair amount of impact at the breakdown but they didn't weirdly enough and i think that reflects where ireland were passing the ball because i think when you look at um, ireland's work at the breakdown from the midfielders normally they're, you know, securing that rock in that middle space where it's maybe that, that like that pod off 10 where they're kind of involved in and around there. I think in this game where James Lowe was used as a passing option, I think 16 passes he has. And he was often used to elongate the, the sequence where that ball went wider to Hansen or to, uh, to Doris or Conan or, or Van der Fleer or whoever in that wider channel. It ended up bypassing our midfielders. I think it's part of the reason why Arden looked so flimsy at times and where the patterns didn't really look like they were getting any purchase in Italy at all and everything just looked like it was getting very lateral 
and you look at was that the scheme coming into the game or was that something that just played out as the players were were, were looking at where the space was and almost went as Jeff said there over chasing that space in the wider channels and I think that that might be something that you look against against England where I think you'll see Ireland having a bigger pack build I think you look at the the back five for this game even against Italy who you'd expect to beat fairly comfortably regardless was relatively light given the given the, the 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 players available if you look at the roles of the players there I think Byrne and Baird are guys who would be on the kind of the lighter end of the of the second row scale the the back row at Peter O'Mani in there who again I, I didn't think had an outstanding game by any means but like again I don't think he played badly in what he does but I felt that Ireland could have needed I think a little bit more kind of power carrying output frankly and I think looking at you know why Furlong spent 62 minutes in the field and again that Ireland had already won was because we needed a guy like that who could help us. Like, again, I think uh, Tyke Furlong's breakdown output in this game was outstanding. And I think that I rated Caelan Doris quite poorly for this game because I felt that he didn't slot into that um, power forward role, we'll call it, as seamlessly as I think he has done in the past and, and, and kind of as I expected him to. So I, I think looking at, the, at, at Ireland here, I think it's just one of those games you just bank the, the, the five points and kind of just forget about it because I think Jeff was onto a big point there in where once you see the opposition are down to 13 men and you score a try immediately and a down down two forwards i think as well like when you score a try immediately afterwards you know the bonus point is coming and you know you're like you're immediately your head starts to think well we're going to finish out this game now and we've got a big game coming up next maybe you're not actively thinking that but that's kind of there as well where you're thinking well, look this game is over and i think that affects your your output in the game as well i think there's a lot of criticism about joey carberry too I, I, I don't think he blew the doors off. But I'm not sure if he, he was as bad as people say either. I think if he makes his, his kicks at goal, I think that the criticism isn't really as loud, you know. Um, but because I, I, again, we look at Sexton, had one really good moment when he came on the field. But let's not forget the other Irish tries that came after that were off a charge down and when Italy were down to 12 men. So I think it's just it's one of those things where that was just there pretty much for the entire game. And I think, again, too much focus on 10. I think is a little bit of a looking at the wrong areas, I think, more so than anything else. I think you could certainly look at maybe the scheme coming into the game overall, and I think the performance of the forwards wasn't what it needed to be either. And in, I suppose then leading on from that, and we talk about how the game is maybe, you know, one you just park, is there anyone who really took their chance and who has enhanced their chance of breaking into the, the starting 15? Jeff, we'll start with you on that one, maybe. Um. So again, it's a tough question to say. I think that the players will be measured on defense and their own roles within the game. I don't think we'll. I don't think the coaches will look at that game and say, "Well, you had a big impact here when you did something probably outside of your role," because the game went down to such a like. A, I don't want to say a training run, but like because it kind of entered that zone, you're probably only looking at the players' roles that you gave them pre-game and how they carried them out despite what happened. And I think they will also be looking at the defensive side of things because that doesn't change. Like in defense, you can only defend what comes at you. That's it, regardless if it's 13, 15 or what. Um, so in terms of standing out, I think it was a difficult game for people to stand out in because to stand out, you have to not only perform your role, but also stand out in areas outside of that. At the same time, I felt Sheehan was very, very good. Um, I think he is just incredible. I, I genuinely do think that 
Um, he's going to be pushing Kelleher very, very soon. I think Kelleher is still nailed on for me. Um, I don't know why, um, to be honest with you. Maybe it's just because I've seen more of Kelleher and I've liked what I've seen. But like, I think Sheehan is going to be pushing him big time um, like in the, in the very near future. Um, I felt he was excellent. I felt Bard was very good. Um, he didn't, for me, he didn't dip out of the game. He was one of the few who kind of continued on for the 80 minutes in the same manner. And probably because, you know, it's one of those games where he knew it's a rare start for him that you, you I think you said it last week on where he has to get rid of that impact player tag or that sub tag and show he's an 80 minute player. I think he did very, very well in that game. Um, no, I do. I, I, I do. I think he did go well. And uh, like that, I think they're the two that stood out to me the most, probably just because they continued I suppose, in the manner of what we expected. And, and Jeff, by the way, actually, um, Mike Lowry, you were saying there about guys playing off role and not really having to, you know, outside of what maybe they expected. Yeah. I think people were disappointed with Mike Lowry. He scored some tries, but he didn't really show up as a kind of a second playmaker. And the reason being is he had one of the highest breakdown outputs of any player on the team from oh, an offensive perspective. Talk to me, Tom. Talk to me. Highest, yeah. I did. I was looking at this the other day, and remember, I was I was talking there earlier about um, Ireland playing a little bit too wide, so wide, in fact, that Mike Lowry ended up being one of the primary breakdown guys in a way that I think Gary Ringrose is normally. Mike Lowry ended up being in this game, and I think that that goes some way to explaining why why Ireland why everything looked a little bit so lateral, so lateral. It's just that's where the ball ended up a lot of the time, and Mike Lowry had a huge game at the breakdown but didn't really show up as the second receiver like much at all. If at all, I think James Lowe ended up taking the majority of those roles because Mike Lowry was buried in a rock half the time. And I think that goes to show his work rate as a player as well, like that he's willing to go there and like just how unselfish he was for what could have been a hat-trick try for him too. I think Mike Lowry, I was very impressed with his game actually, because he reminded me a lot of Hugo Keenan's overall output, not necessarily creatively, but his unselfishness at the breakdown. And for that, that, that what would have been a hat-trick try reflects very well on him as a player. I absolutely screamed at the TV when Lowry passed that ball when he was on a hat-trick because I selected him at 10 in my fantasy team. <laughs> and if he got that hat-trick on debut, you can guarantee he was getting man of the match as well. There's no way he wasn't. And I absolutely, I think I, I, there was an expletive in there, I think. Why did you pass that effing thing? But Flip. Oh, that flipping ball. <laughs> and uh, like... I was, I was just like, I'm screaming at a TV. No one can hear me. Like, and uh, he, I think he, he did right though to pass the ball. It was a guaranteed score in passing, and it was a bit of work and not passing it. Unselfish, but he did the right thing. I think. Even, but, even um, if it fucked you over on your fantasy. Uh, look, I'll take the, I'll take the hit, Mike. Don't worry. <laughs> you owe me one next time, but I'll take the hit. But um, I, I do think that that your stat there on the breakdown, like for your 15 to have one of the highest breakdown outputs, kind of shows the kind of game it was as well. Just probably lacked that extra bit of extra pass, that one more kind of. I, into this I, I ranked him third just behind uh, Furlong and Ryan Baird. Oh, no, sorry. Furlong and Josh van der Fleer. So which going. is something else. And I, I, I think probably the game showed to me a little bit that Ireland need in that back three, they do need an Andrew Conway type player. I think they, maybe the balance of the back three was slightly off themselves. I do think they need the the sort of the playmaker on the whether it's the left wing or whatever, but they do need that sort of kick chase expert 
on on the other wing that they're using or the, the pace finisher and I think needed that and I, I think you mentioned it previously Tom I think they really missed um, Bundiaki at 12 oh yeah you know his physicality his handling and to me what's really really underrated is not just his passing but his ability to bring it to the game line and pass at the very very last second and still have quality in it and I think that was badly badly missed and, and his breakdown stuff is consistently outstandingly good and like I think Robbie Henshaw is a very good player but that was as bad as I've seen Robbie Henshaw in a long time in that game he was just very much way way below his standards like it wasn't really hitting up the ball very effectively. His breakdown work was very poor. Um, and creatively, I had one, I had, I had a couple of passes, of course, but like I felt that he was just looked well off the pace for what, like for, and for me, Robbie Henshaw is probably one of the top three midfielders in the world. Like, and I just felt that he was just very much not himself. And you look at Bundy Aki there, I would be shocked if Bundy Aki does not start against England. Absolutely shocked because Bundy Aki. To me, the way he's playing at the moment is like the complete midfielder. Gives you everything. Impact defense, offensive breakdown stuff. He can win jackal turnovers for you. Fantastic passer and impactful ball carrier as well. Just a great, a great, great player. And he now is at the moment like one of the most important players in the field for Ireland, I think. And makes the system that we've seen working so well for Ireland in the last year. I think Bondiaki is a guy who makes that work because he has got everything you want in that 12 jersey and allows your, your outside center in a way to play a, a freer role. And it kind of frees up some of the creative work for your, maybe your fullback as well. I think Bundyaki is just, again, like he's playing so, so well at the moment, but he's crucial for this Ireland side. Yeah, definitely. Okay. We'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen as it does really help. Also be sure to share the podcast on social media and give us feedback on what you'd like to hear more or less of. Um, don't forget the competition. Uh, mark the time of when Andy Grace popped in to say hello to Jeff and send that into provincialstateofmind at gmail.com. Hope you have a good week. Your provincial team wins. And it's- <laughs>